a dating and makeover expert where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. Have you up-leveled in your life lately? I mean, once you've begun succeeding in any endeavor, you'll reach a threshold where you must decide if you're ready to go to the next level. And most people get really comfortable at a certain stage because they don't want to deal with the emotional purging that's involved with up-leveling. And here's the thing that most people don't think about. When you're trying to get to the next level of something in life, and this could be anything, it could be love and your career, when you decide to up-level and go bigger, your life becomes very difficult for a short period of time. And a lot of people don't like that. I mean, all of a sudden, the confidence you used to you know, to have where you master something, it feels completely gone. And this is why a lot of people don't go for something bigger or better because the fear of the pain and the emotional turmoil that's attached to it is so great. So the discomfort of the up-leveling deters a lot of people because let's face it, it's easier to stay in a state of comfort and with what you know. But how is that dynamic working for you in your love life? There's a client I work with who was completely ready to up-level her love life. And she had gotten to the point of being really good at flirting. She got the dating thing down. She knew how to you know, get the guy, but she hit a brick wall when it came to advancing to the next level with men into a more emotional, intimate relationship. Now, her history was that she was emotionally abused as a child, and she never experienced how it felt to express her feelings in a safe environment or receive emotional support. So she learned and was confident in keeping things light, getting attention from men with her charismatic and flirtatious personality. But when it came to wanting more and they wanted more, her guard would go up. And somehow she would sabotage it. And unbeknownst to her and was subconscious, but she would sabotage it from progressing. And the problem was that what she craved, she actually feared. So she was at this like tug of war with herself. So for her to achieve a state where she became bigger than her fears, she needed to, you know, level that up. And that was super uncomfortable for her. So I gave her a bunch of exercises to build her emotional intelligence so that she learned how to identify, express, and manage her feelings so that men could feel her more. Because that was the complaint that a lot of guys were saying is that they just couldn't get a pulse on her. They couldn't feel her. And I had her practice. And, you know, it was like building a muscle. And on the first dates where she would share more of herself and practice receiving and listening and listening to that, taking that in and being okay with it. And it took a ton of practice before she was ready, but she had to tackle a smaller version of this goal and to become really great doing it. And then she finally got past the discomfort and leveled up to finally landing this great guy who was emotionally available. And this was totally foreign to her. And, you know, she's still in it today, 
But she still texts me today because she finds herself kind of defaulting to that place where she gets scared and wants to sabotage it. But it, she now has the tools to know that she has that awareness and she is able to stay in it. So many times in the pursuit of your goals, you hit brick walls that stop you from advancing. This is especially so when what you are trying to achieve is bigger than what you are capable of accomplishing at that point. So it's important to stay with the discomfort to be successful. And with me today, I have an amazing guest and a friend who knows all about how to take things to the next level in all aspects of life. He is keynote and TEDx speaker. He's a business consultant. He's a podcaster. He has the number one podcast for counselors, the Practice of the Practice podcast, with interviews with Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, and Lois Howes. He's a rising star in the speaking world. I've seen him in action. He is a writer for Psych Central, has been featured in the Huffington Post, Forbes, Good Magazine, Reader's Digest, Entrepreneur on Fire, and Yahoo News. He is the author of five books and has been named the Therapist Resource Top Podcast consultant and blogger. Welcome, Joe Sanuk. Joe, are you there? Hey, Kim. How are you today? I am so great now that you're here. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love hanging out with you. And so when I looked at my schedule this week and saw that this was on it, uh, at the end of my week, I'm just so excited that this is the capstone for my week. Oh my God. It's it's so mutual. And, And really, we kept running in each, you know, to each other at these podcast summits and whatnot. And I feel like there was a reason for it because we come from like, you know, a similar background, being a therapist and also, you know, wanting to help people in a bigger way. And I'm, I'm so impressed with everything that you've done in the, in the therapy world and the coaching world, because you've really up-leveled therapists even. Right. And so, um, but I, you know, I don't think I really know your full story. You and I, chatted a little bit, but like, how did you get to this point? I'd love to hear more like your personal journey. Yeah. You know, it's super unexpected because I was raised by a school psychologist and a school nurse. My in-laws, my wife's parents were a special ed teacher and a computer aided design teacher. So the, the narrative I always heard was work hard, get good grades, and someone else will bless you with a really good job. Uh, The idea of being an entrepreneur or doing anything business, uh, for one, I didn't hear that message. And my first business experience was selling vacuums door to door. And it was terrible. You know, I mean, they taught me how to sell this $2,000 vacuum in like a trailer park and teach people how they would actually make money by spending $2,000 on a vacuum. So for me, business was the farthest thing from my brain. Uh, And really, I went that, that kind of psychology direction for a really long time. Uh, I got jobs at nonprofits, community mental health, was in the wraparound programs, helping at-risk kids. Um, but then I had a job at a community college, and it, it was the kind of top job in my community. A state pension, uh, highest pay other than probably private practice. Um, so it was that job that I was supposed to love that I had got that job. Um, but I would started a side private practice and was really enjoying just doing kind of some practice on the side, but save up a little bit of money here and we'd buy a new mattress and save up a little more money from that and then mm-hmm. pay off a little student loans. And it, it wasn't even a career direction at that point. But then I started to notice opportunities. Uh, like one of the people I was supervising said, hey, could I join your practice? I said, I don't know how to 
have an employee or 1099 or even the difference between them, but I'll figure it out. And then I added him. And then another intern I supervised, she joined the practice. And I realized that I had a business and I didn't even Mm -hmm. intend to have a business. I thought I should probably learn a thing or two about business. And I realized that it wasn't that just business is good or bad. It's neutral. It just magnifies what's ever there. So if, if I'm selling a product I don't believe in, a vacuum cleaner door to door to people that I think don't need this product, of course, as a good person, I'm going to feel slimy about that. Uh, and that's good that I felt slimy about that. But then when I had something that I knew changed people's lives, counseling, I wanted to learn how do I market this so people understand the value of the product that I'm offering and that we do as now a group practice. So then I just started blogging and podcasting about it. And there was nobody else at the time that was podcasting. So from day one, I was the number one Mm -hmm. podcast for counselors. And and now actually we have the stats to back it up. But from day one, we were the only one. And so uh, it's great to be kind of first to the show because then then you're the the leader for kind of everyone else that comes after you. That is that's so awesome and in, in a lot of levels. And I, I, you can't see me right now, but I was smiling as you were telling your story because it's such a similar story. And, you know, what comes to mind is I grew up in, with the same mentality. Like, I mean, growing up in the Midwest, I think there was just also a societal expectation of, you know, you go to school, you get the nine to five job you help people and then you get your paycheck. You know, there was that kind of conformity that goes with it and how you push past that, you know, how you can do more for yourself. Sometimes there's like a lot of guilt that gets attached to that. And I think that's true with any time you think about pushing past something that's, again, what I was talking about before, super comfortable. So like, I wondered, like for yourself, and I'm also interested in how this played out in your personal life, like how did you move out of that conformity mindset, you know, into something bigger and greater? And even maybe with your relationships, I don't know how that. Yeah. And it's really hard because I don't remember who in my life said it to me, but they said, whenever you level up, you're going to disappoint people. And so I remember mm. I was a supervisor for, for new counselors and I was always full. There was always tons of people that wanted to work with me. They listened to the podcast. I would do this one four-hour chunk once a month. So it wasn't a lot of my time and I made a bunch of money from it, but I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to, like every time it came around for a good year, I just thought, I don't want to do this. And it was disappointing to those people tremendously mm. when I stepped back from that. Um, but if I had continue to put in that mental energy and, and all that went with kind of recruiting people, that was time and energy I wasn't putting into things that really lit me up. Uh, you know, when I left the community college, I, I still am connected to my old boss there. She was amazing. And actually the guy that took my position, we hang out, he's one of my best friends now. Uh, oh, so, really? Yeah. And, and so um, I think that was something that I had to realize um, in, in leveling up. Uh, it was, I think, there's people that always will feel like you're abandoning the the cause. When I left being a foster care supervisor after only 11 months there, people are like, are you kidding me? You're leaving already. But I, it was this community college job that was an amazing job that those positions only opened once in a while. And so I was able to really kind of develop a system for myself to continue to level up year after year and to take reasonable steps. Uh, I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk that says people overestimate what they can do in a year, but they underestimate what they can do in a decade. Mm. And that the, mm-hmm. the methods that I kind of started to employ, really not on purpose at first, helped me make substantial jumps year after year. 
I, so that, and then I want to hear more about that system you came up with. Cause in, in obviously like how I was talking about how that plays out in relationships and love, I see that what you just said play out a lot. Like there'll be people who will stay in relationships or date people who are familiar to them, even though they know it's not you know, good for them necessarily. And they want to have something better. Like they want to have maybe a reciprocal relationship where it doesn't feel like they're taking care of everybody, you know, and that kind of thing. But they're worried that then people won't like them. So it's easier for them to just stay in that kind of relationship. Right. So I think it goes back to your self-value, your self-worth and like how how do you push through that Because and, and want something more for yourself? So I'm interested. It's in so that. interesting that we're talking about this today because yeah. I just last month got a contract with HarperCollins for a book that I'm working Yay! on. Yay! Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, it's it's amazing. Talk about up-leveling. Hello? <laughs> Seriously. Well, and, and I can talk about how that was part of this whole system and this plan of leveling up and how that ended up yeah. happening. But just today, I, I'm working on this chapter that's about how an outsider mindset is really valuable. It's one of the Mm. top three things that we see in people that are just crazy amazing um, Mm. and having these differentiators. So even today, I just learned that Rembrandt had this eye condition where he could only see in 2D. And so his actually his artistic edge was his disability. Uh, and there's story after story around this of famous artists uh, that they were super sick as little kids. And, you know, they just sat and drew or Einstein didn't, I think, speak till he was three years old. Uh, and he attributes that childhood wonder and being an outsider to why he could think so much differently. And, and so today I've been really digging into just the evolutionary benefit of being in the majority mm-hmm. um, and how it helps us be comfortable. It helps us have resources. If you were in the majority, if your farming didn't work out uh, and you had a tribe of people around you or a group around you, you didn't go hungry. Um, you were protected. There's all this benefit over you know, thousands and thousands of years of being in a group of people. And so we avoid being in the minority as much as we can. We try to not be that outsider, even though that's where often the biggest innovation happens. And so today I was looking into this uh, this theory called rejection sensitivity. And there's a ton of research out there about this. And it's, it's worth Googling because um, what they found is that there's actual, the part of your brain that has physical pain, that mm-hmm. there are some people that that same part of their brain lights up when they feel social rejection. And so oh. if that's more sensitive for somebody, um, and even if it's not, I mean, we all know what it's like to be rejected and it, it sucks. We don't want it. But then often what that leads to is then being paralyzed by perfection. Then that leads to not mm-hmm. wanting to fail or stretch ourselves, which then leads to, I don't want to be rejected at all. And so we get stuck. And, but, and then we say, well, it, I'm trying to create more happiness in my life and I'm doing it by avoiding this rejection. I'm doing it by not stretching myself, but I'm still not happy. So is inaction really what's going to lead to my happiness? Or could it be that this rejection actually is part of building skills that allow us to become at that next level? Oh my God. I love that. I just got chills because the, you know, I always say rejection really isn't rejection. It's experience. And if you can look at it there, but it's a reframe of that. I And I'm really interested in what you just talked about, the rejection sensitivity. Did they tie that into, you know, the, the familiarity principle where, you know, in our brain, we always go back to what we know. Is, is that 
part of the loop. Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. we naturally are going to go back to that majority or that tribe or that group of what we know. Yeah. It's the known. We don't want to see the tiger, you know, that's in the unknown. Um, and, and actually, I've been digging into quite a bit on curiosity research, so we can geek out on that too. But before we go there. Um, <laughs> no, we're I mean, totally geeking out on psychobabble right now. <laughs> well, and, and so there's two major ways to yeah. combat that fear of failure, that paralyzed by perfection. Um, so the research okay. is pointing to um, first building rejection opportunities. And then second, doing what's called psychological vulnerability reduction. And so I can dig into that a little bit. But the So first in one, English. <laughs> yeah. <means. laughs> so basically psychological vulnerability reduction mm-hmm. means, so psychological vulnerability, we all have vulnerabilities that upset our brain. And so if, whether it's the ACEs study or child trauma or just personal rejection in the dating world, we all have vulnerabilities, blind spots, baggage, we might call Mm -hmm. it. And then reduction, there are research-based ways to reduce that. So we could say baggage reduction, uh, that, that junk in our brain that is a weak spot, it's our Achilles heel. There's a lot of kind of stats around what works in those areas. Uh, But one of the biggest things you can do is to give yourself the chance to be rejected over and over and over. So that, that becomes normal for you, that instead of being yes. in your comfort zone all the time or in your panic zone where you, you know, freeze or you fight or, or you flee, that, that that growth zone in the middle where you feel kind of icky in your stomach, you know it's good for you. Maybe it's giving a speech at Toastmasters or it's standing up to your parents, even though you're a grown adult, you know, whatever it is, those growth zones are so important for our development because it rewires our brains. It makes a new normal in a different way than, than maybe we have in the past. So what that means for you listening in ways of the dating, so if you are really fearful around flirting, then it's exercising, like, and, and I always say too, one thing, it's like building a muscle. One thing that you can build to get over that fear of rejection of maybe a guy not liking you or, you know, whatever's going on. And so maybe every day you work on making eye contact and smiling at a guy that you think is really attractive and doing that over and over and over again until you have that, you know, kind of evidence that you're okay, that you are not being rejected and the right guy will respond back to you. And, and it's so powerful. And, and it, it actually, what you just said really, um, kind of drives home this whole notion that I teach about the outside in is that even like wearing something, you know, like a red dress when you're not used to wearing a red dress and being seen and being, and just practice being seen that can actually change the chemistry of your brain almost, it sounds like, in the way 100%. that you... I mean, we're kind of talking about performance anxiety. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, and, yeah. and so when, when you think about it, so a great example, um, about a year ago, I went to the Motown Museum in Detroit. And it was so cool to be in the actual space where the Jackson 5 recorded or the Temptations or the Four Tops. I mean, these amazing bands. Um, they had houses right across the street that most of the musicians lived in. And they left the studio open 24-7. So if you woke up at 4 a.m. and you had a riff you wanted to record, you'd go across the street, you could record it, go back to bed. So Mm -hmm. one of the cool things that they did is every single Friday, they would get as many of the musicians and producers together. And whoever had new songs, songs that they were working on, they would play them and they would tear them apart. I mean, Mm -hmm. imagine you're a new Motown musician, you just got signed, you think you're just awesome. In your hometown, you were were it. 
And then you get there and you've got little Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder and the Four Tops, and you're going to play that first song and they just tear it to pieces. But what happened was everyone got so much better through that rejection of their first, second, third, fourth draft to say, okay, now we've got a hit. Let's now release this because it's been through this just terrifying process. But on the other end, we have hit after hit after hit. Wow. I love it. It's so good. And, 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 and I think it gives a lot of people hope, you know, around what they can do. Cause I think a lot of times you think you can't be that person and get to the next level. Cause, um, and, and this is where your story and like my story was, you know, back, back in the day when we were brought up to be a certain way, there's like the state of complacency that I think a lot of times people get into and you just think, well, but this is my path. Like this is all I can do. And knowing that everybody can get to a different level, it's just knowing how to get there is really, you know, what we're talking about. Yeah. And I think that once you can start to address those internal beliefs and challenge Mm -hmm. them and allow kind of new wiring to happen inside of you, then you can start to make an external plan. And so I love how you do the the outside in, but then there's also kind of that inside out that happens as well, where once you're able to start to challenge that wiring, then you can take some steps to say, okay, I have a business right now, or I have a relationship right now, or I have whatever my current is that needs to be under control. But then what's my goal for where I want to be, whether that's in relationships, in my Mm. business, in the career path I have. And so the the first steps I took when I was at the community college was what is the next goal for me in this next year that's going to totally change everything. So the book, The One Thing, they have this phrase that says, what's the one thing that you can do now that if it was done would make everything else easier? So I really took that to heart. Mm. And each year I still do this. So, you know, it was probably eight years ago. I said, okay, so I have this counseling practice. If I had more clinicians working there, that would free up more time and I would have more money coming in so that I could work on bigger things. So this year I need to work on getting a bunch of clinicians. So we got up to 11 clinicians that made it very easy to build, you know, passive income. So then the next year it was, okay, I need to get more consulting clients that are two to three times my counseling rate. So I think I was charging 150 a session or so. And so I need people that will pay me three to $400 per hour in order for me to do that. Now, how do I do that? Well, I have to grow my podcast. I have to build content that attracts people that can pay that. Probably not focus on people just starting a business because they don't usually have money. So I need to focus on group practice owners mm-hmm. and, and doing more content around that. So then once I did that, Then the next year I said, well, now I need to do some mastermind groups because if I had say six people that were each paying four or $500 a month for a couple hours, now I'm going from one-on-one to -to one-to-many. So then got some mastermind groups going, built out all the steps for that. Then the next year it was, okay, I need to not be the only one bringing in this consulting money. I need to bring on some consultants that can be lower prices, but still I get part of that cut. So then add people there. And so then every year I'm making sure the things that I'm working on in the business stay in one spot. And you can apply this to your relationships, to your, any, you know, friendships, any of that, you you maintain what you like, but then you say, well, what's that zone of discomfort that's really good for me? Hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, a year and a half ago, I said, I want to write a New York times bestseller. If I did that, things would be a lot easier in regards to my business. I'd get more speaking engagements. I'd build more of an audience. So then I had to work backwards and say, well, how do you do that? Well, I, I know you have to get an agent to get a pr- traditionally published book. 
So I started asking podcast guests, do you have an agent? Would you be up for introducing me to them? And then it was the agents wanted to know what my book was about. So it was like, oh, I probably should have sketched that out before I got introduced to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I you know, just hustled and got that done and, and then eventually got an agent. And then he said, your writing's good, but it's not the caliber that needs to be for publishing for our proposal. So then I hired an, a writing coach that had worked at HarperCollins to help me work on that proposal. And then we went through those steps. And so then, you know, a year and a half later, I have a book contract. And so then once that comes out, well, what's the next big thing? I mean, it's going to change. And so I'm not going to create a five-year plan because I don't know what the one-year plan is going to be. Uh, but being able to say, what's that thing that makes me feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable, but it makes sense as to the next step of where I'm going to be. When I'm hearing you say, and, and this is so helpful, and often what I teach people too, it's like, what are things that you can set up for yourself in chunks, like kind of those smaller goals that add up to the bigger picture? Because you're right. Like, I think sometimes people shoot way too far in advance of the future. Like, I just want to be confident. I want to find my soulmate. Well, I mean, that's great, but how are you going to get there? <laughs> you know, right. it's like, if you knew how to do that, you'd be doing that already. And they so, have a vision board with a house on the beach. Yes. And they, and that's <laughs> fine, I guess, but if it keeps you focused on your goals, but let's actually do some things to get there. <laughs> it's the action and what you're talking about. Well, how, you know, and, and this is just like working with so many people and for yourself, what are some signs that people know for themselves that they are up leveling? Like, how do they know, okay, this is that discomfort that Joe and Kim were talking about that, that I know I'm kind of pushing past some of these things that I know I need to do for myself. I mean, I would... I would start with just like a gut reaction of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I get to do this. And so mm -hmm. when I go on, when I go on a podcast like this in the middle of a workday, I'm still amazed that somehow I have created a job for myself or a career for myself that I get paid to hang out with Kim, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, holy cow. Like I, all of my report cards as an elementary kid said, Joey talks to his neighbors too much and I now get paid to talk. And so, <laughs> so first thing is just noticing, do you experience amazing joy around what you get to do? Uh, do you feel like it's creating influence on the world, impact on the world? Are you innovating? Uh, those are all things that should be popping up for you. Uh, I would also say, how much do you feel like you are naturally going after things that you're curious about. Uh, curiosity, you know, the research says that curiosity really is when you experience something that challenges your mindset and it, it doesn't reconcile, your brain naturally wants to be curious and figure out like, what's the truth here. So it could be, if I act a certain way on a date, then it's gonna be a good date, but then mm -hmm. that doesn't happen. And you're like, wait a second, this is not what I expected here. Now I need to be curious about mannerisms, about dress, about, you know, listening to Kim's show more and figure this out. And, and so I would say when you get to that next level, you should be feeling nervous sometimes. You know, you don't want to be in that hypervigilance all the time because then that's going to do some crazy things to your body, but it's also going to, you know, it's not a good place just to live in, but you want to be pushing yourself into new areas that you really aren't sure what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. I I see that happen a lot with, you know, like I've been working with some clients recently 
where they've never been online. And it's just like, they usually were meeting people out and about and just the whole notion of exposing themselves online was just uh, daunting. And so they, you know, those words that come out of people's mouth, well, I'm scared. I don't want to be seen. What if guys don't like me? I don't have a good enough body. Like all those things that were firing. And, and I said, exactly. I said, you know what? That's so good that you're feeling that. I love that discomfort. That means it's something you got to do. <laughs> you know, yeah. I said, obviously, if it was something that you were comfortable with and things still weren't working, then that, that's not good. But you haven't tried this. So that is a good thing. And it's that adrenaline rush almost. You know, the discomfort could also be adrenaline is using that. You know, it, it's, it's having that almost be like the drug that carries you, you know, to the next level. So. Well, yeah. and better to have somebody reject you before you go on a date than waste your time. I mean, I would rather yes. have somebody say, oh, that body's not for me. Okay, great. You just saved us both a bunch of time and money. Good. Totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it, it takes that confidence to, to look at it that way and say, oh, well, you're not my person because my person's going to love my body. Like that's, that's where it needs to be. But, but you have to go through a series of, you know, like what you're talking about in order to get there. So yeah, no, that's really good. Well, Joe, uh, you and I could like psychobabble and geek out forever. Absolutely. (laughs) I know. I know. Thank you so much. Well, do you have any kind of last words of wisdom and also let everybody know where they can find you and we can follow you with your new book coming out and all of it. Awesome. Yeah. So I would just say final words of wisdom is don't be hard on yourself. Uh, Like there's so many people that are hard on you. You don't need an extra person to be hard on yourself. So all of that internal baggage, um, not that you can just let it go. Like we all have stuff that we hold on to for one reason or the other. Um, but be gentle with yourself. Um, for however you got to where you're at, when you notice those things that you know are not healthy for you, um, do your best to work on them, to let them go, um, and to realize that there's some things that take time to let go of. Love it. Love it. Where can everyone find you? Yeah. So my website is practiceofthepractice.com. That's a great place to connect with me. Uh, we're online at Practice of the Practice everywhere. Uh, also, podcastlaunchschool.com is a place where we help people launch podcasts that want to kind of grow to that next level. And uh, at some point in the future, we'll be launching a website around the book and around my speaking outside of Practice of the Practice. But for right now, that's the best place to find me. Awesome. Are you allowed to say what your book's about? Yeah, the the working title is Thursday is the new Friday. And the basic idea is looking at uh, the four day work week, how we got to this place in history, which actually just quick reveal, we made it all up. Even the seven day week, the Babylonians just made up, you know, the Uh Egyptians had an eight day week, the Romans had a 10 day week, Henry Ford less than 100 years ago, randomly picked the eight hour day. Uh, We made this up. And so I kind of challenge that idea that we have to have this 40-hour week in order to get the outcomes we want. That that, that's an old industrialist mindset that we just need to get rid of. Uh, And then I walk through kind of our internal inclinations and then how we slow down in order to, to kill it more in our businesses and in our life. Oh my God, that's amazing. Well, here in LA, we've already, we always known that, like, I think we literally like end our week on Wednesday. People 
start, that was one thing when I moved from the Midwest to here, I'm like, wait, nobody's working after Wednesday. So <laughs> I love it. I can't wait. Well, thank you so much again for coming on and just love knowing you. Thanks for joining me. And it's been the Charisma Quotient. I'm your host, of course, Kimmy Seltzer. Remember, you can build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. And if you want to know more, of course, go to my site, KimmySeltzer.com. And if you listen to this and you realize you are not up-leveling in your love life and you want to, hop on a call with me. We'll map out a strategy. I promise at least we'll get some clarity around where you need to go to get there. And stay tuned until next week with more tips on how to feel and look fabulous every day. 